Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am so delighted to have Kendra Austin here with us today. Kendra is a writer, diviner, and model, an Aquarius sun, a Taurus moon, and a fellow Capricorn rising. We love to see it. Kendra, do you know what your Capricorn rising degree is? Yes, it's nine. Oh, I'm 12. So we're really close. I love that for us. Yeah. So we both had Pluto crossing our ascendant around that same time period. Sure did, babe. Someone was just asking me the other day how it felt to have Saturn cross their ascendant, which I guess for us both happened in like 2019. Mm -hmm. My answer, of course, was like, it hits different when your Saturn rolled, you know? <laughs> exactly. That. I'm like, I am always in a Saturn. Exactly. Welcome. Welcome. Saturn in perpetuity. <laughs> so for those who are not yet familiar with Kendra, even though I know that you're about to be, not just because of this episode here that you're listening to, but because Kendra is definitely one to watch. Kendra is a Brooklyn-based writer, content creator, model, and diviner who centers self-acceptance and dream actualization in all her work. She runs the newsletter Come Home and will be publishing an Oracle deck card next year. I am too publishing an Oracle deck. I cannot wait. I know. I saw. This is a Capricorn rising three degrees removed. Wow, wow, wow. That's exactly. And when I saw that, I was like, it's the Capricorn rising. Yes. We're probably doing a lot of mutual projects. I'm sure we are, especially because they're so closely connected. This is my fiance and I are both Capricorn rising as well, but he's like 26 degrees Capricorn rising. So he's like in a whole different sphere of Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kendra, it is so nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's such a joy. I like really, really live for your content. And I actually first saw you on Drew's show. Really? Yeah, I first saw you on Drew's show. That's right. And I like used to do a little bit of like freelance work, like contract work for parade underwear. And we did this thing for astrology and like you were the first of mine. And ever since then, I've been following you. I was like, I, I want us to work with her. Um, and we didn't get to do so in that capacity, but I feel like it's coming full circle now. But yeah, I've had my, my eye on you for a while. The feeling is very mutual. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I first found your work when you wrote this incredible piece on Lena Dunham and her fashion line that had just come out, which I haven't heard anything about since then. No. no. It was like a capsule collection, maybe. It was, it was a capsule. <laughs> collection there were about four pieces and all of them were bad but you know what it was you know obviously it was beyond that and so many people responded to that essay with just like such like visceral like rage really yeah 100 percent. and i was like i'm not sure if you read it because it wasn't really about her it, it, it really wasn't right it was just like the state of the industry and like the fact that it just feels like it's a lot of gatekeepers like passing the baton around and that's true for so many things and it's like again, like that's not happening anymore. Like it's tired. It's ugly. It's over. Let's move on. And there are like moral implications to continuing to do so. And that falls on whomever decides to take the baton when it's passed to them. And Lena is that person right now. So it was like, you know, I mean, that's also just like the, the queen of swords in me. I'm like, this is the truth. What's the problem? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised and not surprised to hear that you experience such a negative reaction to that 
essay because I actually thought that it was like profoundly eye-opening and like really well researched and explored. And it was one of those essays that has the ability, which I think is extraordinarily rare and a testament to your writing, to actually open someone's eyes and shift their perception of something, which is really like, you know, what are we trying to do if not like help create conversations and talk about things from different points of view to understand different vantages. But for our listeners who haven't yet read this essay or even know about your work and what you do, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your background and then also maybe weaving in stories like this um, that you were able to speak to? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the essay in specific that we're talking about was kind of just like an intersection of the plus size fashion industry and how it kind of originated with a lack of understanding that fat women and plus size women and women who are not the sample size have not truly been equitably supported in being able to be clothed and self-expressive. And um, even more than that, like fully employed and at the helm of the creative that goes into making clothes. And so Lena Dunham was asked to create a capsule collection with Eleven Honore after quite a long history of kind of capitalizing off the fact that she herself is not a thin woman in the industry, which I'm sure is incredibly hard. And I've I've seen it myself, the way she has been attacked for her body and being so open with it, which I certainly think is a valiant effort. But, you know, she, of course, holds her own level of privilege, just her background and the capacity to now be a rich woman who continues to just be rich. And it's like the boohoo story, I feel like has reached its point. And now it's time to pass pass the baton and make sure that somebody else gets that opportunity. Um, and so I just kind of opened up the question about why are we not moving past the same five people that we continue to give the opportunity to create capsule collections, um, create work in an industry that ultimately was built to not necessarily even support them, right? This industry in the plus size space was built by fat black women, by trans women, by the disabled community. And it's important that we keep that we continue to push the boundaries and to allow space for power to be held by those same people. And a lot of my work is centered around that. I, for the most part, really love to um, tap into within my writing and my content creation and even the modeling work that I choose to do because I am quite discerning. A lot of that is about tapping into joy, right? In the sheer splendor and have chosen this body and this mind and this spirit to occupy and knowing what the purpose of that vessel is. Within that, right, I'm still very much in the physical world and there are a lot of challenges to me being able to do that. And so I want to be clear that the world is challenged in seeing me, someone like me, win. And that's true for all the communities that I am a member of, right? So I certainly like to like be as present as possible in the current fight and all of the fights. I do think there's room for all of them. And also the ways in which I, in specific as an artist, can create work that presents almost like a resounding, like, but we're still here and we still are entitled to joy. And I don't want the story to always be about trauma um, as a fat black queer woman. And I think that that's really where I kind of fall in all of the spaces that are black liberation, fat liberation, um, plus size fashion, beauty, all the things that I, you know, have, have been in since the day I was born. And now I just decided to really double down, double down on those ideas. So well, your impact and your words and your content creation and your artistry, I, I think have a really powerful resonance. And, you know, not everyone can be an amazing writer. But, you know, what really stood out to me in this essay was your ability to sort of like, you know, talk about sort of the microcosm and the macrocosm in tandem and to say like this really like, okay, so she just came out, Lena Dunham just came out with this fashion line. Right. We're going to use this as a launching pad to talk about these broader issues. And I, I think that that ability to take something that's happening in pop culture, whether that is something that we're reacting to positively or negatively, or even like just neutrally, you know, something that is just happening. And then to use that as the, the jumping off point for these really powerful, important, significant conversations that are also not happening unless the conscious decision is made to perpetuate them and to continue them and to actually have the dialogue, I think is really impactful. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and I'm sure you can attest to this. I feel like just within universally right now, our message is things must fall, right? Universally it's there. And so I feel like we're, especially in the last two to three years, right? We are being confronted. It feels like daily, weekly of another example, globally within pop culture, within media and the things that we love and enjoy, we're continuously faced with examples what no longer serves us as a society, as a community, within a lack of accessibility to fun, to joy, within a lack of accessibility to healthcare, within a lack of accessibility to resources, very physical resources, money, right? We're faced with that every single day. And like within this essay and within all of my work, I don't seek to make an example of anybody, but I do think I seek to contextualize, right? It's like, for me, I believe in personal storytelling. I'm a personal storyteller. I mostly write about myself. Every once in a while, I decide to step out of kind of the joy and splendor of my own of independent writing, of being on my newsletter, um, of writing for kind of like helms that I'm more closely connected to. And I decide to contextualize in that macrocosm that exists out in the world, right? Like none of us are just existing in a vacuum. Um, and when I do so, I'm, I'm choosing very um, deliberately. And so, yeah, for that essay, it was just like, I understand that we all have this personal experience, but this, this particular story of body neutrality, body positivity, whatever you call it, is actually about equity. And we need to start talking about that, right? And I, I know that that's really, really hard for people to face because that requires doing very challenging work. And that challenging work is giving up privilege and nobody wants to do it. Um, but ultimately, like, we can't stop at love yourself. Love yourself is not a sustainable system for dismantling oppression. Um, as much as we love it. But it is certainly a, a foundation and some great groundwork and I'm happy we've done it. Let's move. Let's keep <laughs> I really, I love everything that you're sharing and something that is sort of rattling in my brain as well is classism as it relates to body acceptance and, right. you know, a, a body that has the ability to deck itself out in whatever designers have decided to commodify this body positivity movement um, is obviously going to be venerated in a way that a body that is just trying, you know, that is just wearing the clothes that they can afford or not even clothes that they can afford, you know, is is going to be subjected to so much discrimination and oppression just in our you know, when you're walking down the street, right? Like not even on in the social media right. metaverse, <laughs> but within yeah. real life contexts and within real life situations that, you know, we're not moving through life with curated photographs. We're right. moving through life trying to go and get loans and trying to feed our families and trying to uh, get jobs, you know, that are actually going to be able to take us to the next level and not just for survival, but for thriving, you know, yes. and having a collection of clothes that is, you know, luxury items, who is that actually benefiting at the end of the day? Who is being perceived in a more like fashionable and chic and trendy and socially acceptable way, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I think at this point, like, Virgil Abloh, like there are a lot of examples we have of people kind of destroying the idea of luxury. Um, and really, I think putting a spotlight on the fact that like everything that we claim is luxury is coded language for anti-Black and like anti-poor, right? And I think that like we we see so many examples of this at this point it's not necessarily that i think that like luxury needs to be accessible it by nature is not accessible right but i think at our core we still have a lot of very very capable people who haven't been granted the opportunity yet to be a part of that space i'm not necessarily necessarily sure we're going to find liberation there which i do mention in the in the final paragraph of that essay in specific is like for me personally I'm not going to seek my liberation in in, a, in an inherently exclusive and classist system. That's not where I'm seeking my liberation. But I do want the opportunity to have some joy and to have some fun. And like the fact that you're making that so difficult is, I, I don't know how else to be more clear that there's a huge problem here. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm not expecting liberation there, but the fact that I can't even get like a, <laughs> a t-shirt that doesn't have Minnie Mouse on it um, or like something that's not just straight up a moo is a problem. And 
the fact that I'm just tired, like for me, I get very bored. I'm like, why are we seeing the same people all the time? This industry, when I first started posting online, um, well, first of all, I was like 18 and on Tumblr. I'm original Tumblr girl. You know? <laughs> and, that, and that's just my truth. But when I kind of resurfaced on the internet and included myself in this space that people would call like body positive, and I certainly included myself in that category at the time. This was like in 2016, 2017. And I was just graduating college. I was having like the true, true, like 22 to 23 existential crisis that nobody talks about. And I was just like, what is it that you want to do, but you never let yourself do? Because at that point I had been fully living out my Capricorn rising, um, like suit, suit of armor of like doing what was expected of me and doing what was naturally prestigious. And that was rewarded in a big way. And I was like pursuing law at the time. And I knew I absolutely was not going to do that and be happy. And I just kind of had to like a come to, to goddess meeting with myself. And I was like, what have you always enjoyed? And the first thing, the first image that came to mind was like, I wanted to be an artist. That was the first thing I ever wanted to do genuinely. And intergenerational trauma really kind of knocked that out of the park quickly because I was like, that won't make me money. And then I can't like buy a house for my mom in 50 years. So, you know, what, what is this? But I came back to that image of like me being a little girl and being like, I want to be an artist. And then the second image I had was of me sitting in my bedroom as a kid that up until like, I want to say from like seven to like 18 was lined with Teen Vogue magazines. Like legitimately my entire um, bedroom was lined with every single edition of Teen Vogue. That sounds like if it was still preserved, you could rent that out for some serious cash. It sounds like a, it sounds like an aesthetic. Exactly. No, it really was. Like I was, I was an OG material girl and it instantly hit me like, oh, I, I've always known what I was supposed to do, but I knew it wouldn't necessarily come directly or easily because of the ways that I felt then, which is that I don't see people that look like me. Right. And at that time, that was slowly but surely becoming less true because of the Ashley Grahams and the Palomas and the Precious Lees. Like they were kind of making their break. And I remember about that year is when Paloma shot the Body Hero campaign for Glossier that was in on like Varick. Mm -hmm. And I remember that coming out and seeing it on the internet. And at the time I was in Texas, I had just graduated school and I thought, I'm going to do that. Like that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I just took it as a sign, like this is it. And so I decided to move to New York. And at that point I started to become much more active online. And there was this huge community of people who were like, truly like I had never seen looking like Instagram baddies, like an entire community of women that were sharing their stories about having um, to consistently fight their way in the medical system as a fat person of never being able to find clothes, even though they loved fashion. I was like, me too. Of never being able to step into a room and not feel the weight of their weight. I was like, wow, this is exactly what I've experienced. And I felt immediately empowered to speak on my own. And I had not remembered feeling that way in specific since I was like a child. Um, which I've always been an outspoken person, but it didn't feel like it was coming from source. It didn't feel like it was a divine message. It didn't feel like it was a purpose until that. And that's when I started to share kind of more of my story. And at the time it was like, it felt like we were, we were breaking a barrier. And like, I was finally going to see this like utopian world in which fat women can dance and joy and be out in the world and not have to feel so perceived in their fatness and only their fatness and being able to exist beyond it. And more than that, being able to actually be granted access in fashion and beauty and in these worlds. And then I moved here and I got into the industry and I realized that there is such a dissonance between creators and people who are actually impacting the lives of consumers and the, the world that they're consuming. Like there's such a dissonance between the actual beauty and fashion space and these women that almost like said, come in, babe, like the, the water's warm, like enjoy, enjoy this life, enjoy this body you have. Those people actually are still where they were when I first got in this industry, which is creating amazing work and doing it independently and still being left out by gatekeepers and not having the power that I think they're entitled to have in the long time work that they've been doing. And the people up here, which are 
you know, casting agencies and directors and producers and the people who are actually creating the product. And I think that that is the greatest shame that I've seen in being able to kind of stratify those lines and be within both now is the people who are really doing the work are not rewarded in those bigger spaces. And that is, you know, that that is not equitable. It's not equitable. It's not the world that I envisioned. And it's what we're working toward every single day. Like if I am in a room where I have an opportunity to employ one of my friends, that's what I'm going to do. You know, if I, if I walk into a room and I can speak somebody's name and I know that they alternatively have not been given that opportunity, I'm going to do that. And I know more and more people who are doing that. And I think that that's where we're really kind of pushing those boundaries and making sure that we're creating less of a dissonance between the powers that be and the people impacting true change in the hearts of people at home. Yeah, so beautifully said. Growing up in New York and sort of seeing the fashion industry as you know, a child and a high school student, you know, having to like move out of the way for when, you know, things used to be in Bryant Park and then I guess they moved to Lincoln Center. But like, you know, at a certain point you have some friends and they're hot. So they get invited to things and then you have to wait for them outside. I don't think that I have, I don't think that there's an industry that I find more despicable than the fashion industry. Um, <laughs> I have a zero degree Venus Libra. I mm. love aesthetics. I love clothes. I love textures. I love ambiance. I love eras, you know, like I love everything visual that had, and, and even just the, the physicality of things. But my disgust <laughs> having witnessed yeah. throughout the 2000s, you know, the nineties and the 2000s, the fashion industry and sort of seeing how it looked and behaved and right. it has so deeply created uh, a scar in that space. I, it's going to take me so long to recover from that and to even want to get like post a picture of me in a fashionable outfit because I am so, it's so, it was so disgusting, you right. know, 15 years ago. And it still is, I'm sure, but maybe a little less. But 15 years ago, it was so disgusting. And I could only imagine, and that's decades of, of horrible, you know? 100%. And it's so interesting that you use the term disgust too, because what I feel that is, is like just shame. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just so much shame. It's built on shame because they're, they're preying on our insecurities, right? right? They're preying on our ability to stray so far from ourselves that we will buy into whatever it is they are selling. And that shame just continues in a cycle that is so deep like it, it in a wound that is so deep that like people don't even realize it because we're talking about things. And in reality, like in order for us to be so about those things, we have to feel so empty. Right. Absolutely. That is what makes it so disgusting. And like you said, it's like constantly, I feel like that constant reminder, we can just to choose to like erase ourselves from the narrative now that we're adults, like, and we have to, we have to be like, oh, that's not for me. Oh, I hate that. Like when you're seeing <laughs> ads, when you're on Instagram, like I tell people like for me, social media is amazing. And that's because I don't follow a single person that makes me feel bad. Yep. Like not one, not one. It is not interesting to me. I love my echo chamber. I will stay here. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I love my echo chamber. It sounds good to me. I love it. And a lot of that is just self-protection. Like I already lived however, however many decades, several decades in a world that felt like it was in order to be there, I had to betray myself. Why would I go back to that when now I have this metaverse that I can exist in? That's just me. You know what I mean? That's really it. And ultimately that has also tailored a genuine life outside of the metaverse. That is just me, just a reflection of what I feel like is you know, again, source, right? Like something honest, something true. And what I ultimately moved to New York for, which was like genuine diversity, right? Like a, a genuine diversity and a genuine, like, I mean, I, I would, I would say like an echo of my heart's greatest desire, right? Of just having a group of amazing people who are all within their own purpose and look different than me and maybe feel different than differently than me about certain things but ultimately we're all on the same foundation of like fuck this shit like right this, you know what i mean like what we're a part of we are in it not of it 
And with fashion in specific, that's really important for me. Like I have done many interviews where I feel, and I say this like, you know, within, within media for magazines or like online pubs, and they almost always ask me like, so like, you know, what is the change that you seek to make in the fashion industry? And I always tell them, I don't, I don't want to change the fashion industry. I don't think it can be changed. It has to be destroyed. Actually. I seek to change the hearts and minds of the people that consume fashion. Right. And that is a different job entirely. And it's so interesting because I feel like from my kind of like doe-eyed naive space that I entered the industry in, that has been a huge shift. And a lot of that is like, I've been working on my savior complex. Um, and which I had since a very young age of just like, I want to change the world. Like I was so Aquarius so early. I was like, I want to change the world. If I'm a part of anything, it has to go. It's ugly. It's old. It's traditional. We're done here. <laughs> and you know what? I have been heartbroken a million times over by trying to do that. Because ultimately those systems, it's, it's like whiteness almost where it's like, you don't need white supremacy doesn't need white people to operate anymore. You know what I mean? Like you do not need the people to make that happen anymore because it's so far gone and our existence is so dependent on capitalism. It's so dependent on exclusivity. It's so dependent on the haves and have nots. I don't think that that's my job as Kendra. My job is to remain in my joy and to create gorgeous things that inspire people to be in their joy and to ultimately realize that we don't need these things at all. And without our dollars, they will just simply go away. Yeah. You know, and that is a world that I don't even expect to see in my lifetime. I'm just hoping to plant the seeds of like, my, my hope is that we create our own little coven over here where we're having a good time and we're naked and eating fruits and being hot. And then eventually the fashion industry will just, I don't know, maybe drop off. <laughs> maybe drop off. But you know, like that's, that's it. It's like really, I, I decided I, I can only break the rules so much. And I actually don't want the rules at all. Like I don't want to have to involve myself with them whatsoever. And I think that that has been the beauty for me about utilizing social media. Um, I always say like somehow the next kind of graduation or level up within my life has always been like granted to me by something that I didn't even know existed. And it's always been of greater freedom than what I thought was coming next. Mm. So like when I was going, was, was trying to initiate a career in modeling, I really, really wanted to be a part of an agency, right? Like a big agency. And because I thought that that was the sure thing. And at, at the very least to pay my bills. Right. And Lo and behold, over time, I was like, why do I keep on hearing no's? Like, it doesn't make sense. And while I was doing that, I was like, like full, fully had my hands in um, a project with a really good friend of mine, Jane. She and I had founded a newsletter. She had found a newsletter that I became greatly involved in. And that became an agency. And I was like, I actually had a hand in building one, but I felt like I needed to be a part of something else, right? And I had to look inward and I was like, why am I seeking something that I actually know how to do now? Like, and she ended up cre like creating fully, fully moving ahead with the agency. Um, once the writing was done, I decided to, to step out. And at that point I knew how to represent myself because I had been hand in creating this thing. And I was like really boohoo about it. Like I didn't understand it at the time that like I was granted the best resource, which was the ability to actually champion for myself, know exactly how much money they have and what to ask for. I have no fear about saying the most outrageous number imaginable and seeing if it hits because the worst thing they can say is here's what our budget is, you know? And I was sitting here thinking like, I feel like I'm not being accepted when in reality, I was granted an opportunity to represent myself and to not have any, anybody tell me whether or not I'm good enough for this job and decide whether or not they're going to put me up for this casting, the casting directors are coming to me anyway. So I get to decide what I'm worth. And I just did not understand the grace that I was given in having that opportunity. Um, and then kind of moving forward, even with within writing, like my newsletter, I was offered a contract with Substack to be a Substack pro writer. And this whole time I had been consistently trying to like throw out you know, my, my pieces independently and pitch them to these huge magazines and often heard no more than I heard yes. And here I have a chance to weekly get paid to share my thoughts without literally not, a, not an editor, not an anybody in sight. Um, and that also kind of prepared me for eventually getting a publisher and having an opportunity to work with 
people who whose opinions matter, right? And they were just seeing my work in its bareness, in its rawness, and said, that's what we want. So I feel like I have come to realize that it's not within my particular destiny to to work within gatekeepers. Like I, I am my own gatekeeper. Um, yeah. and I think if the world accepts it, that's great. I see so many parallels uh, in what you're saying to the things that I have experienced in, in terms of uh, I wonder if it's the Capricorn rising, but we I'm also a Leo and you're an Aquarius. So it could also be our, our that access, you know, it could be on that access because I can't work within a system. I yeah. simply can't. I would like to just for the for the purposes of storytelling, I think it would might be better to say I've tried, but I don't even know if I've tried because frankly, any even going back as far as like second and third grade, when I've had teachers that were like, so about the rules, needed that validation for their ego, needed me to like hop on their, you know, like be a teacher's pet, I have clashed. And looking back, I was actually just talking a few days ago with a friend of mine about how fucked up it is that I ha- that teachers actively had problems with me when I was nine and 10 years old. Like these were adult people. What yeah. business did they have having a problem with a nine-year-old? Conflicts with a child. Exactly. But that has always been my, you know, it, whenever there's been a system that has been sort of proposed and saying, well, this is in order to do X, Y, and Z, you're going to need to follow these rules and abide by this protocol. I've always had an issue. And mm-hmm. when I've had, but I've also had teachers who have really inspired me and empowered me. And I think that the difference is that they've they've allowed space to for me to express myself without mm-hmm. putting the confinements on what that expectation was of how I was going to show up, you know? Right. Yes. So it's not just across the board, I you know, all you know, elders or teachers or mentors. I've had a problem with it's specifically the ones that have said these are the rules you know it's abuse of authority it's yes. abuse of authority that, yes. it, that's exactly right that's exactly right and I'm the same way like I remember when I was younger I I was in elementary school and there was this rule where like no more than three people could could be together in recess what the fuck kind of rule is that exactly Thank you. Exactly. And I think that it was, if I remember correctly, I mean, I was like six or seven at the time, but I think it was like, they, they were trying to avoid, um, like bullying, right? Like, like big groups of people and then somebody being in the outcast. I was like, but the thing is now I have to tell my friends that we can't hang out together and I'm seeing them sad. So it looks like this was a bad rule. And I like wrote a letter to be like, dear principal, I understand the purpose of this rule. However, now it seems that it's actually having the exact effect that you did not intend. And it's making me and my homegirls upset. And he literally was like, okay, love this for you. Continued on with the rule, continued on with the rule. But he did in fact frame that letter and put it up in his office because he was like, this is, I've never had a, like a student contest a rule before. Like I've never had this. And I was like, you're right. You haven't. And this is, this is who I am. And I have continued on about that. Literally. I mean, in any workplace I've ever had, the second that I see that something is so off, I cannot get over it. And every single day that I'm a part of it, I wilt away and die. I, I totally relate. <laughs> you know the that I woke up, like the day that I decided to go full time in this. Like when I first moved here, I like did the typical, like I was a barista um, at a coffee shop here in Brooklyn. I worked at a restaurant and meatpacking. And I remember the day that I woke up, it was a Saturday and I used to work brunch shifts. And I just was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I called in and I said, I'm not returning back to work. And that was literally the day that I decided to go full time and like go balls to the walls in my career. And I had at that point, I definitely did not have full time work, but I just trusted that who I was at that point with divided energy and consistently working and putting energy towards something that was not me was holding me back. And I just had to trust that I had to trust it. And I mean, it happened. The money came, you know what I mean? The opportunity came. I legitimately did not have the room for those opportunities to come in because I was working for somebody else's purpose. And I have never been, I was not built for that. I was never supposed to do that. 
Yeah. You know, and you were talking about the money aspect of things. I also, it, another parallel here is that my, the biggest, deepest dream, which I still, to this day, I'm sort of working towards is buying my mom a house. That has been what I've wished for over birthday candles since I was a little kid. You know, like that has always been, that's fueled me, you know, that keeps me going. Yeah. But then it has also been throughout my twenties, it was how the fuck is this going to happen? Mm -hmm. Because I can't work within any system. I can't, I can't work anywhere. Right. <laughs> I, keep, I can't do these. I can't like, I don't want to do office culture. Right. I don't want to like, I don't want to have to impress my boss. I am, I'm not built for this. I'm not designed to give a fuck when I do not give a fuck. There's no way that I can start like a marketing agency, like having a working as an intern and moving up. Like no. I couldn't hang. I simply couldn't hang. No. And I really genuinely had no idea how I was possibly going to support myself. Mm -hmm. So like live and then beyond that thrive, you know, buy my mom the house. Right. And also that I couldn't seem to function in any industry. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, when, when I had to do what I'm doing now, which is become an astrologer and a creator right. and do all of these things, but it took having to surrender to the, to the fact that maybe you're going to, I'm going to have to compromise on certain things, you know, like maybe I'm not going to live this like rich and fabulous life, which I had also had in my brain right. in order for me to be who I am and survive. And the release of that, you know, the, the letting go of needing to have things look a certain way and to think my life was going to go, you know, X, Y, and Z, right. that the choice to prioritize my soul yes. was the most profound, life-changing, yes. like metamorphosis. Absolutely. And I will say, like, I was so affirmed during the pandemic, you know, we, we started the conversation talking about like how Pluto was swinging through the first house and when Saturn was swinging through there as well. That was, hu that was huge for me. I, the pandemic legitimately changed my entire life. I was on a track of relinquishing every bit of my power to everything in my life. And it was because those things reflected what I thought I had to do to get that white, the vision of the white picket fence, right? Whatever mm -hmm. that meant for me. Right, right, right. For me, I'm like, I'm trying to go Oprah. I want Oprah's garden, right? I want to be able to be a multi-hyphenate creative and do absolutely everything and ultimately just employ people that create that for me. That was my goal. And I thought, for me, I was like, the thing is, I can't trust what I have here. I couldn't trust the message that was in my heart because that was too brave. Like, and I have always considered myself to be a very brave person, but that was too brave for me. I was like, mm -hmm. I can't trust this here. Like, because I'm seeing people do X, Y, and Z. And I know that I can work. One thing about me, I can't be at work. So I know that I can work to get those things. Let's do it. And I almost felt like the universe was like, she's going to have to learn this the hard way. Like, she's not going to hear no. She's going to have to learn this the hard way. We're going to give her exactly what she thinks she wants. And she's going to hate it. And that's exactly what yes. happened. I got everything that I wanted. I was at Wilhelmina. I was at a huge agency. I had the boyfriend that I thought I always needed who was like financially stable and like, so like had just like such big energy and like was tall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was tall. And turns out all of the, right. I had, I had like all of these friends and a lot of them were like actually kind of covertly quite mean to me. I didn't understand it at the time, like, because I never thought, and so was my boyfriend and so was my agency. And really actually all of them were like quite abusive. And I was facing all of them because when the world shut down, all I had then was now Wilhelmina couldn't make me money. They already really weren't making me money, but they couldn't make money now because there was no industry. And all of a sudden I was looking at my ex-boyfriend. I was like, you are the worst person I have ever met before. And you make me feel terrible every single day. And I wonder why I don't even want to get up and look at myself. And then I looked at my friends and I was like, you naysay me. When I say that this is what I'm going to do, you tell me that I don't have taste or that I can't do this or I can't do this. And I've never listened to that before. So why am I going to start today? And it was like, I 
I had to salt the earth. Like I knew it. It was like, I just woke up one day and I was like, I have to salt the earth. And naturally I got rid of my ancient boyfriend first because he was, <laughs> he was horrible. I, I have no regrets because he was a catalyst. Like he came into my life and I felt like I almost already had like a, it was like, if you have a dirty room and then you have a guest come and now it's twice as dirty and you're like, this is the worst thing. And it's like, in reality, like you already had the mess. That's what it felt like that was for me because it just, it, I felt like that relationship with him was a mirror for all of the the messages of lack that I was speaking into my life mm -hmm. every single day. And it was, I can't trust my own intuition. I can't trust my freedom. I have to have somebody tell me, even in covert ways, whether or not I am good enough. And so I impose that by creating all of these little mirrors. My, my ex-boyfriend, Wilhelmina, all these things were telling me, you have to, you can have what you want, but you have to be X, Y, and Z first. And that part of me that felt like I could work my way into acceptance, I could almost like fit my way into acceptance by becoming something else and somebody else, because all I had to do was work for it. That part of me was like in overdrive. And mm -hmm. I didn't understand that that was never supposed to be a part of my life journey. But I finally had all of those things. And I just had to say, like, all of it must go. And it did. I mean, legitimately, it was like, I, I was knocking them down left and right, because I just realized, like, I can't, I can't have this. Like, I can't even hear myself anymore. Like, I have such doubt. And that's not who I am. I've never felt doubt before. I don't feel courageous right now. I've never felt that before. And I knew it all had to go. And from there, I have trusted every single day since because that the week that I broke up with my boyfriend, I made $12,000. I kept that, that number in my mind because I was like, this is the most amount of money I've made in any week in my life. And I know it's because my guides, the universe is rewarding me for making space because mm -hmm. if the universe had given me those resources, I would have wasted energetically on that person. Yeah. And you wouldn't have made, you wouldn't have had those resources. That's exactly right. Yeah. I finally understood kind of the alchemy of worthiness at that moment because I had decided that, that all of these things were not working for me. And I feel that the universe and my guides very much love to reward me with physical things. They're like, listen, we're, we're trying to show you that we love to give you resources, but it's about how you feel about yourself. Yeah. It's about what you think what you think you're worthy of and whether or not you feel like you can actually make what we intend for you to make, which is beautiful art and a life that you know you're worthy of. So if you can't do that right now, then we're not going to give you the resources because they will have been wasted. Like you will you will pour them into things that aren't you. And mm -hmm. that's typically what I do when I'm in my shadow space is like I will return that into anything but me because I don't think I'm worthy of it right now. Right. So right. That was like that really hit me. I was like, I need the complete like freedom of mind, freedom of choice, the ability to say this is good enough and not have to hear any other noises kind of for, for better or worse telling me that yes or no, I can't have that. And that really hit me like a ton of bricks. And ever since then, I'm like, the choice is always, can I do it without contest, right? If I want this project, is it 100% mine? If I'm going to take on this, this client and this sponsorship, um, are they going to ask me to do it their way? Because the answer is no. You know, like there's no, there is no dollar sign. Like there is no amount of money I'm willing to receive if it means that I have to relinquish the part of me that gets to say this is good enough. And that is true for every part of my life. That is true for my friendships, for my romantic life, for my work. All of that is true. If I have to relinquish the part of me that says, I know this is good enough, then I'm not going to do it. Well, this is interesting because so we got some um, questions from our listeners from our new Instagram. So for listeners who aren't following yet, check it out. Stars like us pod. Even though this podcast started in 2019, I just started the fucking Instagram. So, you know, three years too late. It's okay. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but what I'm going to be doing is posting these sort of like teasers for on Instagram of who we're going to have on the show as a guest. And for this conversation, I found one of your many hyphens. And I, I asked yes. if anyone has questions for you in relation to your modeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a really good transition into that because obviously being a model, modeling is so much being at the whim 
of, mm-hmm. I mean, really like who, 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 the brand, you know, like whoever is paying for the campaign, you know, like what is being sold yeah. in some capacity. So we have two questions that I think are really are, are meaningful, right. which is, were you always a confident person? Mm-hmm. How do you build up your confidence on days when you don't feel great? And that is obviously under the auspices of your modeling work, but I think we can expand it even to the many hyphens that also make up Kendra. Right, right. Yes, I do think I've always been, I think confidence and courage are two things that I have internally. Like I always say I have a lion's heart. Like I have always been that way. And I think that throughout my life, I've let people tell me that was wrong. And that was my first, second, third, and hundredth mistake, right? But I believe that naturally that is, those two things are, those two qualities are probably my, my essential makeup, my stuff. That confidence has nothing to do with modeling, I would say. I think that especially once I entered the industry, I realized that I myself and a lot of other um, plus size women who got into this industry were doing it to be validated and not to make money. And to be clear, it is a job, right? It is a job. We're not solving world hunger by being fat publicly. Um, We are not, this is not activism. It is, I think, deeply comforting to a lot of people, but it's comforting in a way that is not an essential truth, right? You can be affirmed that you're pretty. Is that confidence? I do not think so. Mm -hmm. Because once you enter this industry, every single day, you're told that you are almost like a Frankenstein bag of qualities that they're either choosing or not choosing, right? Today, they need curly hair. Tomorrow, they need straight hair. So they need, they need bigger lips. Today, they need a bigger bust. Today, they need a thinner waistline. Like, and you're being chosen off of these things. And so every single day, you're like being Frankenstein. Like, this is good enough. This isn't good enough. And if you let that idea of whether or not I'm pretty today or not today be the kind of like foothold on whether or not you decide that you're feeling confident about yourself, your sense of self will never come to fruition, Right. So I think that like, yes, yes, I've always been a confident person. And I think my ability to put myself in a position to be rejected is more indicative of that than being willing to stand in front of a camera and do my job. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm confident is because I'm always willing to be told no. I'm never going to tell myself no before somebody else does. Um, And that is what makes me a confident and courageous person. But I don't feel that it is a certain level of confidence in order to do this job because a lot of people, you know, wilt, wilt underneath the expectation of being whatever the consumer market needs today. I right. think that that is, is a source of confidence by any means. That's a, it's a brilliant answer. That's a really brilliant answer. I, I think that expanded for anyone who's listening, whether or not it's modeling that they're pursuing or anything in with you know a social media influencer life or whatever like those are always the you know the external is the most up, it is constantly in flux right. you know the we are all change our, our bodies are changing constantly yes. um we are all getting older mm-hmm. and you know from the day that we're born and the validation that we get on any given moment is it, it, uh, like just needs to pass through you Eating. it's yeah. not what you can build a personality on and, and you know we've seen this all like I, i'm sure you know you you know those girls who were like really fucking pretty when right. they were 12 and 13 tried to build their personality on that. Yes. A lot of them it, it, it didn't work out well, you know, like it's, it's because you can't, right. you can't build a personality on the way that people respond right. to you visually. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think it can go beyond that to the extent that like, you know, confidence, confidence for me is, like I said, connected to the ability to be courageous and to be vulnerable and to be honest. Um, This industry does not require honesty. 
we talked about this already, fashion, right? Beauty, it does not require honesty. Um, I think for me in particular, my confidence shows up most in my ability to say, I don't need this. A lot of people need this and they put themselves mm. in a position of need, in a position of um, susceptibility to exploitation in order to be received, accepted, and um, commodified ultimately. And for me, I actually don't even put myself up for castings. Like I let them come to me. I let them come to me. And the level of confidence that's required to do that is I truly believe like my greatest gift. Like I want to be hired. I want to be sought out for my own personal gifts. And a lot of the work that I get because of that are with regular clients who are like, we want to hire Kendra for this. Like the second they have the, the creative idea, they're like, we need, we need Kendra because we love Kendra on video. And we know we have this like little spoken segment and we know Kendra's going to nail it. They want to hire me as a person, right? And that is what creates a fruitful experience for me as a performer. And ultimately that's what this is, right? It's performance. Like I love taking photos, yes, but at the same time, like the creative work of being able to be on set in a room with such talented individuals who are in like at the top of their game and all of the creatives in that room being able to make something with me, that is what I enjoy doing. And I don't necessarily get that experience by putting myself in a lineup of women and deciding that they want me to be a human hanger for that day. That is not something that works for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom a world where that should work for anyone, but obviously, you know, right. Exactly. Some people, <laughs> it's a job's a job, right? Like a lot of these girls yeah. really have been hot their whole lives. You know what I mean? And they wake up and they're like, I know I'm hot and I go and do my job and I go home and I have a fruitful life outside of that. For me, my work is the fruit. And that's always right. because I'm an artist, right? And so that's always been the case. And I think realizing that I can't compartmentalize those things was really important for me. And it's like, you're going to have to take the hit and be able to say no to money, which right. coming from, like we were talking about, kind of that scarcity space of initiating my career and knowing that there was nothing certain and there still being nothing certain and being able to say no to a paycheck is huge, right? Like that's true courage. Like being able to say, you know what? that's not for me. And I know you're saying this is $4,000, this is $10,000, this is whatever, but it's not worth my time. Like I would rather be writing. I would rather be working on my deck. I'd rather be with my friends, right? I'd rather be in any space in which I feel reciprocated in my energy. And to me, that is true confidence is the ability to say no, where you have to almost relinquish your sense of authority. Right. And, and know that your sense of value and worth isn't coming from external recognition. That's exactly right. In that ultimately, like for me, I am a faithful person. You know what I mean? I, I am a spiritual person. I do believe that that courage is rewarded. That choice to to be within my own energy above all else is rewarded. And it, and it always is. It always has been. Yeah. I, I mean, I really, I, I think that in all of the years that I've spent working with people and hearing their stories as a consulting astrologer, the best way of synthesizing what makes someone feel fulfilled is doing courageous things. And even if those courageous things don't end up panning out in the way that they had anticipated, the sheer act of doing courageous things makes a life fulfilling. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that the act, like you said, it's like courageousness, heart in general is a muscle, right? You have to utilize it. You have to try it. And it's going to be really uncomfortable, intense at first, right? It's not going to be flexible. It's not going to be agile. You're going to immediately, the second that you hear no, when you're courageous, you're going to second guess it. You're going to probably shrink back, right? The second you feel that tension. But ultimately, it's not necessarily, like you said, about being rewarded in the ways that you expected. It's trusting the fact that in, in the long, right, in the long game, you will have chosen yourself and you'll know that that is the right choice. Like there is no taking a gamble on somebody else, right? You're placing the highest bet on you. And I think ultimately, like in the long game for me, I have always seen with such, I, I, I don't necessarily have regrets, but I think that any experiences where I feel despair 
or even still like handle grief, they were moments where I knew, I knew that I wasn't courageous and I knew Mm -hmm. that I took the easy way. And again, I'm Saturn ruled. I can't take the easy way. Yeah. Understood. (laughs) Understood. So now, Kendra, I'd love to ask you the questions that I ask every guest on the show. The first of which being, how does magic show up in your life? Magic shows up everywhere for me. I think magic shows up most in my openness to connection, my willingness to connection. People are the source of absolutely everything for me, for my storytelling, for my unyielding pursuit of love and of like the ability to see humanness in other people. And like my, I think even just my naive perception of people is like such magic. Like everybody kind of gets a blank slate with me. And when I'm meeting people, I'm meeting them in such a pure way. And I think that that is magic because I obviously experience heartbreak and I experience loss and I experience betrayal like everybody else. Uh, And I think the ability to kind of wipe that clean and still face another day and see another human being through a pure lens is like such magic. So I think that like magic presents itself in every opportunity that I get to connect with another human being. And truly, I mean, I see myself as magic. I see myself as, as magic in motion. And I think my thoughts, my words, all of those, all of that is a spell um, that I'm kind of bound to. And I also bind other people to. And so I use it very responsibly. We love it. We love a responsible witch. Mm-hmm, that's exactly right. <laughs> Question number two is what do you believe in? I believe in iced coffee and the perfect bite in every meal that is so joyful and i believe in ssris i so fiercely and i believe in fairy tales and folklore and i think the only two things i'm like so certain of that i can absolutely believe in are my own purpose and divinity oh my gosh i mean that was I think that was a poem. And I think that that poem is my favorite <laughs> poem. <laughs> I think that poem is is one of the most beautiful poems that I've have ever it. heard. You can have it. It's all you. Well, we're definitely transcribing that. Uh, I love and it. putting that in, creating some sort of a beautiful visual, like one you have behind you for that poem, because that is... It's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's <laughs> you. You could see that yeah. every day and like wake up exactly. To it, you know exactly. <laughs> um. So Kendra, before we conclude this wonderful conversation, I would love to offer you a tarot poll. I would, um, but the way that my deck works is that it needs to have a question in order for me to give you a good poll. Otherwise, it's going to get into some weird, freaky. Um. So what? question would you like us to answer okay what is a surprise that i can expect to encounter this spring what a beautiful question what an easy question no no notes (laughs) pile one pile two or pile three pile three excellent choice okay so what is a surprise coming for you this spring Mm -hmm. wow what a what a fabulous question easy clear distinct decisive All right, baby. I love it. It is the Wheel of Fortune. And the Wheel of Fortune obviously is, I mean, we're working with Jupiterian energy here. Um, So the astrologer part of my brain is saying, like, let's find where that Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces is going to be hitting your chart. Because that, I feel like, is that's occurring in the spring that's so meaningful for artists and creators and this is the jupiter card you know okay so that's interesting so i have neptune in my first house and i think my chart ruler for my solar return chart is jupiter i have sagittarius rising this year we love to see it Mm -hmm. i have a feeling that the blessings of the spring are going to be really 
larger than life big. I love this news. Yeah, big, big I shit. Yeah, it's good news. I mean, I wouldn't say it. there's a lot of cards as options here, right. you know? Right. It, we're pulling the two of cups. I'm not saying this. This is the wheel of fortune. You know, this is right. a tremendous, like, scale, you know, that we're working on with this card. And because we also know that this card is associated with Jupiter and Jupiter is doing such big work in the spring, I would say that that Jupiter, Neptune, that April yeah. uh, timeline has the potential to do some really, really cool stuff. So I think that the surprise, of course, is going to be the surprise. You know, right, this exactly. card, I guess this poll is kind of like a little cheeky. <laughs> it absolutely is because the Wheel of Fortune is like, hee hee, like, I guess fate will have it. And I'm like, yeah, like you'll see for yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's, to, it's the willingness to spin the wheel, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and take the risk and roll the dice mm -hmm. and recognizing that when you step into the space of lottery, you know, when you step into the space of chance and risk and reward, mm -hmm. like you're making yourself susceptible to like really high highs and also really low lows. But definitely like my interpretation of this card is it's worth the risk. Yeah. You know, it's worth the spin. Right. Right. Absolutely. I love J'adore. 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 This has been so delightful. You are just absolutely extraordinary. Where can our listeners continue to connect with you and find you? Mm -hmm. So you can find me at Kendramorous, K-E-N-D-R-A-M-O-R-O-U-S on all platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I do have a newsletter called Come Home and that is linked in my bio on literally all my platforms. It's KendraAustin.substack.com and I have a weekly newsletter and advice column there. So Amazing. Thank you so much, Kendra. This was so lovely. Thank you for having me.